Sarah Jane Downing is waiting in the reception area of a doctor's office in England. She's there to talk to a new consultant, Ian Patterson, about lumps she's had in her breast since she was a teenager. Her previous doctors have always told her that it wasn't something to worry about. But this new doctor, supposedly one of the best breast surgeons in the country, well, he had a different opinion. He tells Sarah Jane that something is seriously wrong. I met Patterson maybe once, maybe twice before the occasion when he suddenly sort of started to say, oh my God, you know, this lump is really bad. It's growing very rapidly. This is a serious problem. And I was very much sort of shocked at that I hadn't expected it to be anything other than the usual, yes, you're fine, see you in six months sort of thing. And so I was quite horrified. In the UK, the NHS, or the National Health Service, covers most hospital treatments and operations. It can often take months or years to get treated. But there's always the more immediate and expensive option of private health care. Dr. Patterson tells Sarah that she urgently needs surgery to remove the lump. He was also saying that the NHS waiting list was very, very long. And because I was young and because it was growing so rapidly, it would be much too dangerous to wait to continue to be on the NHS waiting list. Instead, he had a different suggestion and says that he could help Sarah Jane out with surgery right away through his private practice. Why didn't I see about going privately with him and um, he could manage to make sure that he would do the operation and he would be able to do it very quickly. And uh, so it would be the best possible situation. To do the surgery through private practice was expensive, but Sarah Jane could afford it. And Patterson seemed like he was the guy to go with. Everybody couldn't say enough about what a great guy Patterson was. Everyone was saying, you know, this is terrible, this is happening to you, but don't worry, he's the best possible surgeon, he will give you the best possible result. And I remember quite distinctly that when I was there having an appointment, sitting in the waiting room trying not to cry, there was a lady there who had, she had a bottle of whiskey and um, a box of chocolate and she had been treated, had had surgery from Patterson before. And she said, you know, don't worry, I've had mine and he was so good and I've just come to bring him a present to say thank you. But Sarah Jane felt like the doctor was pressuring her to undergo a costly surgery without giving her time to get a second opinion or even time to think it through. He told me that no matter what it actually was, this growing lump, it was going to grow to such a size very quickly that it would become a deformity. And either way, it would have to be removed. And so I really felt like there wasn't any other choice. Ten days later... Sarah Jane underwent surgery at a private hospital called Spire Parkway in the town Sullyhole. This is where Mr. Patterson's clinic was based. But when Sarah Jane wakes up in her hospital bed, something feels off. The place where the lump was supposed to be in my breast was the upper portion towards the armpit. And the majority of the bruising 
The worst point was just in the middle below where my nipple was. And the bruising was right the way up to my shoulder, down my arm, all the way down, all the way down my body, right around my back. It was absolutely huge and so painful and really really painful in this place in the mid to lower portion of my breast which was not where the lump was supposed to be. Sarah Jane was in pain, confused and upset but the doctor assured her that everything had gone great in the surgery. I didn't ever feel happy about it. I always felt like it was something that was forced on me and I was pushed into. And I didn't ever really feel that that it was right. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat. This week, a British doctor who abused his power and manipulated the trust of his patients. In the late 90s, Ian Patterson was a bit of a celebrity surgeon in the West Midlands of England. He performed thousands of operations on both women and men and was always recommended by other doctors as a trusted pair of hands. Patterson even developed a special kind of operation for treating breast cancer, something called a cleavage-sparing mastectomy. It's a term he made up himself. So a cleavage-sparing mastectomy is basically where only part of the breast tissue the toxic breast tissue is removed. That's Kashmir Uppel, a British lawyer specializing in clinical negligence. So this cleavage-sparing mastectomy would remove only part of the breast and leave the majority of the breast tissue intact. It was his most popular procedure. So if you have breast cancer and the treatment proposed is a mastectomy, that means removing all of the toxic breast tissue, so the tissue where the tumour is, but also all of the breast tissue that surrounds the cancerous tumour, so that you basically have a flat chest wall. There is no breast tissue there. Patterson worked in both NHS and private hospitals, but he did most of his surgeries through his private practice, and it showed. He had a six-figure salary, drove a flashy car, and dined out at Michelin star restaurants. But after a few years, there started to be whispers. Other doctors were concerned about Patterson's approach, and it looked like he was pressuring his patients to agree to surgery. Part of his modus operandi was to get people very frightened very quickly and then force them into a quick decision. So imagine you're already scared. You're trying to understand this complicated medical procedure that you're being pressured into, and it feels like time is running out. His colleagues they started to question the ethics of how he could perform a cleavage-sparing mastectomy without explaining it to patients beforehand. He would just lob off a bit of the breast, leaving, in some cases, the majority of the breast tissue there. And because his plastic surgeon would then carry out an immediate breast reconstruction, all of that breast tissue would be underneath the reconstruction and therefore when the patient when the woman would wake up after the operation she had no idea that she had some of that breast tissue remaining because it was hidden under this beautiful reconstruction that would have been performed despite the rumors nothing seemed to happen that is until 2009 
when Kashmir's law firm received a call. A patient of Dr. Patterson wanted to take legal action. The client had a mastectomy with him in 2002, but just a few years later, she was diagnosed with a recurrence of breast cancer. She was an inquisitive lady, so much so that she was questioning why, if she'd had a mastectomy, she'd had a recurrence of breast cancer within the breast on the basis that her understanding was all of the breast tissue should have been removed when that mastectomy was carried out. Kashmir hired an expert to review her client's medical records, and the report suggested that Patterson's operation wasn't technically correct. At the time, I was of the view that this was perhaps a one-off. There was nothing to indicate that this was a pattern of behavior, nothing to indicate that it was going to be as big as it was. Two years later, Kashmir is contacted by another one of Patterson's patients. And it's a similar story. She felt very, very strongly about what had happened to her. And she asked me to put out a call to action because she was concerned that there were other women who were in a similar position to her. It doesn't take long before Kashmir is in contact with over 100 women. And once the story gained national attention, even more of Ian Patterson's patients came forward. She decides to hold a press conference. There could be up to 700 cases of unregulated mastectomy procedures and up to 450 women may have undergone unnecessary operations. Kashmir started looking into Patterson's record. I was shocked that investigations had been carried out and reports produced in 2004 and 2007, and they were totally ineffective in stopping this man. In the early 2000s, a number of employees at the NHS made reports about Patterson to the institution, but none of them lead to any real action, and some of them were kept confidential. When Kashmir discovered this, she was outraged, not just at the violation to the patients, but at what she saw as a medical practice that was putting their reputation ahead of patient safety. It appears that they just turned a blind eye and he was allowed to continue. And this was despite the fact that there were oncologists at the Trust and other colleagues who were raising concerns about Patterson. They were raising concerns to the chief executive and the medical director who just didn't take any action, who didn't refer the matter to the GMC. So the GMC, or General Medical Council, sets the standards and practice for all doctors across the UK. They're also responsible for investigating individual doctors accused of malpractice. It was actually a patient who finally referred the matter to the GMC. In 2011, a victim of Ian Patterson took their complaint to the GMC directly. At this point, the issue could no longer be ignored. Shortly after, the GMC announced that Ian Patterson was suspended from both NHS and private practice, and the West Midlands police launched a criminal investigation. By now, Sarah Jane Downing had heard about these stories, but all of the investigations centered around Patterson's mastectomy patients. Sarah Jane's procedure was different. She had a lump removed and figured there was nothing for her to be concerned about. I thought, oh God, how absolutely awful, but I didn't relate it to the same thing because I think I was still really sort of thinking that the surgery that I had had was necessary. And um, I, I think I was very much sort of thinking more in terms of, you know, um, 
thank heavens there, but for the grace of God, because I felt in a way that I'd sort of got off lightly. Then, in July of 2014, everything changed for Sarah Jane. That's after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Sixteen years after Sarah Jane's surgery, she received a letter from Spire Parkway Hospital. Someone who was doing recalls of Patterson's patients told her that grave anomalies had been found in her notes. She was asked to come in and see a consultant. I just assumed that he'd written up a report of what he had found and what he had done and why he'd done it. But apparently this was not the case. The notes on Sarah Jane's file didn't actually make much sense. It was a sort of um, a hybrid of um, fibroadenoma and something else. And utterly vague, completely incorrect, not anything that was known to anybody who is actually a breast consultant. And this was a complete and utter mess. The consultant also said that Ian Patterson had removed perfectly healthy breast tissue. And the lump, which she had been told was so dire, it was still there. So it was very clear that the reason why the scar, the excision line, was in a place that I hadn't expected was because he had taken the wrong parts of the breast with no lump in it at all. So the surgery Sarah Jane had under Ian Patterson, the one she had been told was a matter of urgency and that she paid for, was completely unnecessary. After receiving this news, the consultant gave Sarah Jane a piece of paper. And for me, unless this piece of paper is a check, then we have nothing else to talk about. It's just a single page form and said, right, you can go to the police. This is a form to go to the police because this is a form of assault. Justifiably so, Sarah Jane was in complete shock and she left the hospital room. I remember sitting on the bench outside of the hospital with my sister waiting for the taxi. And we just, we just couldn't, we couldn't believe it. We, we really couldn't believe our eyes that this form was saying, you know, that um, you've been the victim of criminal assault. When Sarah Jane got home, she looked at her body and what Patterson had done to her. It's really horrible to see the scar. And it's really horrible to know that that's, is just because I was lied to and I've been forced into this situation of 
a pretend recovery, yet there was nothing to recover from except for the operation. And it just feels wrong. There is a whole sense of wrongness about it and deep unhappiness with how I look and how it looks and how it is. The consultant was able to confirm that Sarah Jane's lump is still there. But he doesn't say exactly what the lump is. She still doesn't know. I don't feel that that's ever been confirmed satisfactorily, to be honest. Um, Because really, I felt that they ought to have told me what it actually was. I think the fact that it's been there all of this time and it's only a bit bigger suggests that it is obviously something that is benign and not a problem. Because had it been a problem, I would have long since died, basically. So no one has really said very clearly or very cogently, this is what it is. Don't worry, it is harmless. And that was what I was hoping to hear. The entire experience left her shaken. Sarah Jane formed a support group for other former patients. When over 100 people showed up to her first event, something clicked. It was like, oh my God, you know, there are so many more people who were affected by this than I realized. And so it was at that point that I formed my group and started to try to do something about the situation. The General Medical Council had already suspended Patterson from practicing in 2011, but he wasn't facing any criminal charges. And the investigation by the West Midlands police was still ongoing. Sarah felt like Patterson wasn't being held accountable for the harm he caused. So she reached out to Kashmir Uppel. And by now, Kashmir's law firm has been contacted by hundreds of people who are all previous patients of Ian Patterson and who have all undergone some kind of unnecessary surgery and wanted to sue the doctor. When someone brings a lawsuit in the UK, it's called an instruction. First of all, it's quite overwhelming because we were inundated with instructions. Some women had contacted other solicitors previously and they were reluctant to take on these cases. Private practice doctors, like Ian Patterson, are technically independent contractors. So employers, like Spire Parkway Hospital, are not legally responsible for their actions. This had made malpractice lawyers hesitant to bring a lawsuit, since it was unlikely Patterson would be able to pay out a big enough compensation to all the victims. Kashmir, however, just couldn't let it go. She argued that Patterson's insurers, Spire Healthcare and the NHS, should all contribute towards the compensation claims. She believed they all had a part to play. And the court agreed. I just felt that all of these women who'd suffered this massive injustice, let down by all kinds of other people who some of them could have known, some of them should have known, some of them did know and didn't do anything. And I just took a decision that we would take on every single client that instructed us. A lot of people wanted to see criminal action taken. It wasn't just enough to know Patterson wasn't working anymore. His victims wanted justice. What happened next is after the break. The criminal investigation against Ian Patterson took years. The West Midlands police spoke to hundreds of patients and their families, 
hoping to build a solid case. Finally, in 2016, Patterson was arrested. He was very, very strange to be in that situation where the awareness was starting to come, yet it wasn't quite the full picture. And it's taken quite a long time for people to realise just how serious and how significant this is. The case went to trial in February 2017. We were all so completely on edge, waiting to see what would happen. Then, after seven weeks of evidence and testimonies, the jury is ready to announce their verdict. Kashmir rushed to Nottingham Crown Court. We were actually in our Nottingham office, which is around the corner from the court. So myself and my colleagues, when we found out the jury were returning, dashed back to the court and just got into our seats. Sarah Jane Downing was with the fellow victims of her support group. They stood side by side, waiting to hear the verdict. And so we were gathered with great sort of attention because it was reported on the lunchtime news. And we were all there sort of like, oh my God, you know, what's going to happen? And just before it was reported, um, I received a text from Kashmir and it was just one word, say guilty. And we were like, oh my God. And... (sighs) I don't even know how to describe how that was. In total, Ian Patterson was charged with 20 offenses, 17 counts of wounding with intent and three counts of wounding charges. He's sentenced to 15 years in prison. National news stations like ITV covered the trial outcome. Have you got anything at all, anything to say to your former patients? Just hours before he was jailed, Ian Patterson still refused to apologise. Sentenced to 15 years for mutilating and traumatising women, he'll be seen as one of Britain's most dangerous medical practitioners. For groups like the one Sarah Jane founded, his sentence wasn't enough, so they appealed it. In August of 2017, Ian Patterson's sentence was increased to 20 years. Then, in September... Over 750 of Ian Patterson's victims, many that Cashmere represented, were told that they would receive 37 million pounds in compensation. 10 million pounds was paid by Patterson's insurers, and the rest was split between Spire Healthcare and the NHS. A GMC spokesperson told our producer that safeguards were put in place after his actions first came to light, and that they hoped to create a system-wide approach to help encourage transparency. There is justice for all his victims. But it was also really annoying because he still didn't have any remorse and he remains to this day that he's not guilty. Despite Ian Patterson's lack of remorse, Kashmir was relieved. She had spent the last eight years hearing horror story after horror story from Patterson's patients. And finally, it felt like she had gotten them a win. Doctors are construed in a very sort of godlike capacity. Um, And unfortunately, there are these rogue doctors who will take advantage of the vulnerability of their patient. And I think the, the title patient makes you as an individual vulnerable. Even though she won the civil suit, Sarah Jane still struggles with anxiety over what happened to her. There's something so 
utterly vile to know that somebody can look at you and think, yes, if I take this wrong piece of breast tissue, but you know, leave the leave the lumps in place, then I will be able to come back for those later. And I, I think that is so really disturbing. I have nightmares about it. A lot of people in the group do. Ian Patterson's trial had come to a close. Before his victims and their families, a lot of questions remain unanswered. An unusual number of deaths are linked to his patients, and the Solihull and Birmingham coroner's office has launched an investigation picking over 20 randomly selected cases to see if they died as a result of his actions. These sorts of investigations are called an inquest. Eunice Jones' death is one of the cases. This is her son, Matthew. She was diagnosed in 2001 and presumably was referred to him from the by the GP. And like... You know, so many, if not all, of his patients, they they saw him as this sort of messiah. Matthew's mom was no different. Her and her breast friends, she would call them, were all delighted with the fact that they they were preserving their cleavages. I don't think mum questioned, or mum didn't question at the time, that, that that was inappropriate. You know, she just blindly trusted Ian Patterson. Matthew's mom had three different operations with Ian Patterson. Despite the surgeries, her cancer kept returning. And in 2004, Matthew's mother passed away. For years, he thought her death was an unavoidable tragedy. Until October of 2022, when the Birmingham and Solihull coroner's office called him. They were looking at all the fatal cases and their words were that they believed that Ian Patterson, his actions more than minimally contributed to her death. Matthew doesn't know when the inquest into his mother's death will come to a conclusion. You know, the, the, many families, spouses of the deceased are no longer with us because some of these cases go back to the 90s. Uh, some families aren't traceable. Uh, some families don't want anything to do with it, which I do understand. So I'm keen to raise awareness. For years, colleagues of Ian Patterson raised concerns to their supervisors. And for years, nothing happened. His abuse of power was enabled by the system. The other issue is this culture of blindly trusting medical professionals. And it's, there needs to be a healthy skepticism, which is sad, but it's reality. So if something doesn't feel right, insist on a second opinion. Sarah Jane Downing has been following these inquests closely. We're all sort of proceeding with the hope that um, the more evidence that is gathered and the more that we can put this evidence in place in the public domain to show just exactly what Patterson did and the extent to this, we are really hopeful that this will lead to other charges and um, for this to be recognised as just how serious it actually is. 
it's still hard to know just exactly how many people were affected by the actions of Ian Patterson. An independent inquiry in 2020 confirmed that the number is over a thousand. This was a man who used power and privilege to feed his own ego. And the main reason he got away with it was trust. More than anything, Ian Patterson's patients trusted him. And why wouldn't they? We trust medical professionals to always have our best interest at heart. We trust that to be in that position, they know what's best for us. And if you think about it, our society is built on mutual trust. I didn't go to medical school. Most of us don't have a commercial pilot's license or the skill to fix brakes in your car. So it's necessary for us to put trust in complete strangers who are much more qualified than us in these specific areas. And what's really impressive is that after the trust of hundreds of patients was violated, it's kind of incredible that these victims came together and forced the legal system to provide justice. One person stands up and says this happened to me, and on its own, nothing changes. But then another person speaks out, and another. And having so many voices come together to call for action made it possible to force accountability, not just from the doctor himself, but also from the institutions he worked within, the NHS and the hospitals. For the most part, doctors across the world take their jobs very seriously and wouldn't imagine compromising patient safety in the way Patterson did. And as patients, if something doesn't feel right, we got to remind ourselves that it's our body and we should feel empowered to raise any and all questions regarding what's happening to us. And any doctor that makes you feel bad about asking questions or wanting to get a second or third opinion that's probably a doctor that you shouldn't use. As always, thanks for listening. And just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we like to have more listeners. So don't keep us to yourself. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like cheat, but a little better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without listening to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free right now. Next time on Cheat. Here's now is the evidence that humans were descended from apes, it can no longer be questioned. Here is the archaeological evidence. So to have that in Britain, to have that so close to London, you know, this, this was an explosive find. It, it, it hit newspaper headlines all the way around the world at the time. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Olivia Cope. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering and sound design by Sam Baird. Our production coordinator is Ike Egbatola. Special thanks to Sony Legal Team.